Open your Bibles again this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 5. And before we dive in, I have uh, somebody that I'd like to acknowledge. You know that periodically I like to make sure to call out, uh, especially high school students who have achieved something of uh, notoriety. We have somebody that just made Eagle Scout, and I have a picture of Elijah McDowell from this last week. And there he is. You know, I'm always amazed every time I go to a, a, it's called a court of honor in which an Eagle Scout award is given. And I'm always amazed to look at the amount of time it takes to do that. And of course, in the program, they also list the exact dates that each progress step was made. And I just think that's wonderful for uh, young people to have something like that that they can really endure in, keep at. And uh, to make Eagle Scout is no small matter. And boys, uh, I need a call out also to mom and dad because that's part of their process too. So Casey, Michelle, congratulations also to you guys. It's a big deal. Well, I hope there's many more of those because that is a, a great thing to aspire to. Well, uh, psychologist Lauren Papp from the University of Wisconsin did a very interesting study. It was a very simple one. She took uh, 100 couples and she handed out a little journal to each person, uh, each spouse uh, that was part of the couples. And she said, for the next two weeks, I'd like for you to do something very simple. I'd like for you to just journal about every disagreement that you had or every level of conflict kind of that you experienced. Go ahead and list what it was about and list you know, how long that lasted and, and kind of what the, the conversation was all about. It's not going to be a surprise to many of you that the biggest issue that couples disagreed on and they had conflict over was money. Yeah, some of you just whispered it. It's like, been there, done that, live that. And, uh, you know, that's not a surprise for any of us because if you've ever tried to create a budget as a couple, well, that can be thorny. And it's even thornier if you decide, okay, let's go ahead and monitor it now. It's easy to create a budget, but then let's go ahead and actually measure it. So, you know, it's kind of a nervous time to get together as a couple to go, okay, how did we do? And, are, you know, do we plan to keep up with this or not? And, you know, there's just all kinds of knees and elbows as a part, as a part of that. How to use a credit card, how to save for college, how to plan for retirement. All of those have tremendous heat around them. It's so easy today to become preoccupied with what we don't have obsessed with what we think we ought to have and fixated on trying to protect what we do have. Money is a hot topic for any society around the world and perhaps that's shown uh, in a special way by the number of songs that are created about money. You'll recognize this one from the OJs. Money, money, money. Oh, no, this one's Abba. Money, money, money. Must be funny in a rich man's world. Yeah, we got that one. We got the OJs. Money, 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 money. Money. You got it. I mean, uh, we, we just keep repeating the same word, but just to a little different tune. Pet shop boys. I like this one. I've got the brains, you've got the looks, let's make lots of money, yeah. So, I mean, again, there's all of these songs that are all about money, and I could go on. There's many, many, many more. Some of them are, you know, a little off base, and I, I couldn't even say the words to them, but, you know, there, there you go. 
And so again, there's all of this around money because it's so common for all of us. Take a minute to think about this. We, as humans, are the only species that trade in something of abstract value. So in the animal world, not uncommon to actually share. In the, common, in, the, in, the, in the world of animals, they would share maybe food at times. They would share warmth at times. They would share, again, a, a space where it's called home for them. And so they would share all of that. But we are the only of the animals uh, and the humans that, that actually uh, share something of abstract value, that we trade something with each other that's of abstract value, and that's part of being in the human condition. To make you that even a little more extreme, this Super Bowl, if some of you are going to watch that today, you'll have to look out for this. It's being called the Crypto Bowl. And it's being called the Crypto Bowl for the first time ever. There will be three advertisements at the Super Bowl about cryptocurrency and trading cryptocurrency. So just as you think things that got a little abstract, they got even more abstract because now we're trading something that doesn't even have a bill or a coin associated with it. It's just, again, something that exists in the, on the blockchain, as it were. And that's what, uh, again, the Crypto Bowl is going to be all about for the branded that way for the first time this year. Money is such an important topic that uh, obviously Solomon picks that up. And today one, is one of the days when which I'm probably going to step on your toes. I just need to say that right out front. Uh, there's going to be a shocking jar of reality for all of us because we take money just so for granted and it's so common to us. And today, well, we're going to talk about your wallet. We're not just going to talk about your wallet. We're going to talk about your bank accounts, your credit cards, your retirement plans, your homes, vacation homes, boats, collections. All of it is on the table. And some of you are saying, hmm, I'm not sure how far I want you to go on that. Maybe you're building up some walls. Well, God's word is very good about tearing down those walls and, and giving us, again, perspective on something. And so that's what's going to happen again today. Let's remember that Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. So, you know, Jesus knows this about us. Money is tremendously important to all of our lives and especially our spiritual lives. And so, again, we're going to listen today as Solomon delivers one more aspect of wisdom to us. He's going to talk to us because, well, money is important as it's exercised in a wise way in all of our lives. We have wealthy people here today with us, and we have poor people here today with us. And by the time, by the time I'm done, I think that I might uh, help you understand maybe that in a little different way of what poor and really what rich is really all about. Today we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm starting in verse 10, and this is what Solomon writes. He says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who lives, loves wealth with, with his income, this also is, there is the word again, vanity or havel or vapor. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the deep, uh, excuse me, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall again uh, come naked as he came, and, then, and shall have nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. 
This is also grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all of his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil for which he toils under the sun the few days of his life that God gave him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, that is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his uh, life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Lord, we uh, come to you once again and we ask that you would open our eyes to your scriptures, open our eyes to what matters the most to you. And we will glorify you by paying attention. We'll glorify you by uh, acting upon what we hear you say. And so unstop our ears today. Make us ready to be good listeners today to what you tell us is true about our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we start off today and find out what Solomon's going to say, we have to recognize something about Solomon. Solomon is a very wealthy guy. And I don't mean wealthy, but I mean wildly wealthy he is a boatload of money, and uh, the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 gives us some examples of just how wealthy he is. First of all, he uh, only eats things that are uh, in golden cups and goblets. He uh, imports things from things far away, like uh, oh, th- things that are far away lands. He brings in things like apes and peacocks, and he brings in things that are just exotic in nature. And so again, he is just so wildly wealthy. It's said in 2 Corinthians 9 that he is so wealthy that silver is not even worth anything anymore. I mean, it's, it's counted of little value because he's so utterly wealthy. There's perhaps one passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 that depicts just how wealthy he is. I think that's the one up here for you. It says, so King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So he's greater than all the kings in his riches and in his wisdom. And he's going to tell us a little bit about that wisdom that he's determined today. And he's got, again, perspective on this because, well, he's exercised a lot of money in his life, and so he's ready to tell us about that. Here's an alert. He's going to tell us there are limits to money, there are things that money cannot do, and there's ways that money can actually do harm to us if it's used in the wrong way. Let me give you an example of what I think he's warming up to tell us. Oxygen is something that we all need in order to survive. Deprive us of oxygen, our bodies will not last. But what happens in the situation where our bodies get too much oxygen? There is a state that's called hyperventilation, and that occurs when your body is overwhelmed with too much oxygen and it's not expelling enough carbon dioxide. Uh, oftentimes that happens when we uh, you know, are fearful of something or anxious for something, and our breathing rate goes way up, and they have deep breaths that's just saturating our system with too much, too much oxygen. Usually what happens and what's the remedy of that is, number one, try to calm somebody down, but oftentimes we'll take a paper bag and have them breathe out of the paper bag to just diminish the amount of oxygen that's entering their system. Solomon's saying this. Money's kind of like oxygen. We all need it. There's no doubt about that. But bad things can happen to us when there's too much of it that's entering our system. There's limits to the purpose and the value of money. 
So Solomon's going to tell us what he's learned about money, and he's going to offer them us some warnings. Uh, each of the statements I have today about Solomon all start with the same four words, the more you have. The more you have, and then fill in the blank. And I have five warnings that Solomon has for us about the more that you have. All right, here's the first one. The more you have, the more you want. And this is verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. How much money is enough? That question has been pondered for a long time, and many of you know the answer of one of the wealthiest men of all time, John D. Rockefeller. He was asked how much money is enough, and he said... Just a little more. And to give you perspective on John D. Rockefeller, at that time, he was worth 1% of the U.S. economy. I, I mean, that's just beyond belief of just how much money that is. He owned 90% of all of the oil and gas rights in America at that time. And, you know, this guy is just on top of the whole world as far as financially. And yet, what did he want? Just a little bit more. It's so easy to fall into that trap. I can still remember the days when Denise was still at home and we had young kids at home. And I can remember the conversation that we had because we were like, you know, what if, what if we just had $300 more a month? I mean, that would be just life-changing for us. And I remember the day that that kind of arrived and, you know, the heavens didn't open up and sing in any way. And I'm not sure our lives really changed substantially that much at the point at which we arrived at that. It just kind of happened and kind of life kind of went on. And I mean, many of you perhaps felt the same thing. Of you imagine what it would be like to have that just a little bit more. And the day arrives when you have that and, well, it's not as big as you thought it was. Loving money leaves us all wanting more. And consuming more only accelerates the desire to have more. Like an addiction, it becomes, well, a cancer on our souls if not left, or, or if left unchecked. All right, number two, the second money warning. The more you have, the less satisfied you become. And again, I'm in verse 10. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. There's another famous uh, psychologist. His name is Daniel Gilbert. I have a picture of him for you. And here's the reason Daniel Gilbert is so famous. He was one who did a study at Harvard on the connection between happiness and wealth. Happiness and wealth. So he said, we're going to do a study on this and we're going to find out about that. He concluded this, that wealth increases happiness when it moves people out of poverty into the middle class. But it does little to increase happiness after that. So catch this. Money will do a lot for somebody who doesn't have the basic needs of life met. If you don't have food and you don't have shelter, you don't have clothing, you don't have help with your children in some way, you don't have transportation, if you don't have all those things, money will actually move you to a greater level of satisfaction very, very quickly. But if you have all of those needs met, there's little increased satisfaction that actually comes. Here is the punchline of his study. If you give me the next slide. The richer you become, the more money you need to increase your satisfaction further. And you know, you, you all know this. It, it's elastic, right? I mean, it could feel like a whole lot more initially when you're you know, poor and you need some money. But the richer you become, the more it's like, ah, eh, I got a little bit more. And, and you don't really feel the level of satisfaction that's maybe corresponding to what you imagine it should be. Hebrews 13.5 says this. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. And that's something that's a biblical admonition, but it's always easier said than done, right? 
It's always easier to be satisfied. It's always difficult to become satisfied with what we actually have. Perhaps Bill Gates gives some perspective on this, and I've got a quote from Bill Gates. Here's what he says. He says, I can understand wanting to have millions of dollars. There's a certain freedom, meaningful freedom, that comes with that. But once you get much beyond that, I have to tell you, it's the same hamburger. (laughs) I I love that quote because he's telling us all something that we actually know. And I don't even think it takes millions of dollars in order to realize that. You realize that once you kind of have basic needs of life met, you know, past that, it's the same hamburger. And so again, we, 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 we cause a caution, uh, there's a caution in our souls to say that anytime we think we want some more, we're, we're really saying, hmm, I think I'm gonna be more satisfied, but chances are that we really won't be more satisfied. The third money warning from Solomon. The more you have, the more people will come after it. I'm in verse 11. When goods increase, they, they increase who eat them. So there's this idea of those that are out there trying to devour what it is that you have. Most of us don't anticipate this, but as our wealth grows, so grows the bloodsuckers. So grows the financial vampires who want to eat into that. And let me tell you, number one on the list is Uncle Sam. He always wants his share first. Isn't that amazing? And so the amount of taxes that we all pay, the amount of taxes that we pay, especially on a large amount of money, is just incredible. I always think of the people who win the lottery and maybe they win a million dollars. And the very first person on the doorstep that wants theirs is Uncle Sam. And if you won a million dollars, likely your payout to Uncle Sam is around $400,000. So right away, it's like, what? I mean, half, half of it's already gone. And I, I only looked at it. And so again, there's all of these individuals that are around, including the, the Uncle Sam, the government, that wants taxes from it. I think there are other individuals that also want uh, this, this sense of having a piece of it, the sucking sound that you're hearing that's moving away the resources that you have are individuals who are individuals who want to give you help. They want to give you more homes and they want to give you more cars and they want to give you insurance and they want to help you manage your wealth at a cost, of course. And so there's all of these individuals that want to uh, have a piece of what you have. To gain wealth means that it's not just yours, it's going to become part of others also. And oftentimes when you come into a lot of windfall, then the phone begins to ring on individuals who also, you didn't even, relatives you didn't even know you had. And they're there to say, hey, uh, let's, let's reestablish relationship here. I have an example of that. I had a friend who was single at the time and he won something a few years ago. Here's what happened. He was astounded to receive a phone call from a friend. The friend had texted him that morning two other times and he was kind of looking at his phone but kind of not. And then the phone rang and he said, yeah, I better take this. This is kind of the third time this person's trying to get a hold of me. So he answers the phone and the person says, you have just won an all expenses paid trip to Maui and the, the very posh Four Seasons Hotel. But you have to call the radio station right now. And so he said, he picked up the phone, he called the radio station. It was true. He had actually won that uh, all expenses paid vacation. I wonder how much taxes he had to pay on it, but that's another you know, side thing. Most of us would say, well, that lucky dog. And you know what? He said, I'm the lucky dog too because he won that. But there was a byproduct of that because every friend he had called him and said, who are you going to take with you? So, you know, that was the natural question that came out of that is, well, you've won this. You know, you probably need somebody to go enjoy that vacation with you. Why don't I come along? The more you have, the more others will want a piece of it. 
and they will want a piece of you. Fourth, the more you have, the more you can hurt yourself. I'm in verse 13. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. I know that sounds kind of extreme, but he envisions here two ways that we might be hurt by more money. The wealthy person, first of all, is consumed by anxiety, and that's depicted by a level of sleeplessness. He can't sleep at night. The wealthy man becomes consumed in his brain and in his dreams about multiplying that wealth or protecting that wealth. He imagines that there might be a single blunder that he would make that would erase all that he's worked so hard to get. He's worried about, you know, will I, will I buy low and sell high? Will I be able to protect the assets that I have? J.C. Ryle, the British Anglican, said it this way, money is in truth one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. There's the trouble in getting it. There's the anxiety in keeping it. There's the temptations in using it. There's the, get, the guilt of abusing it. And there's the perplexity of disposing of it. He says there's another way that wealth can hurt its owner. And he gives that in verse 17. And he paints the picture of this man who is all alone. He paints the picture of a man who's in frustration and affliction and anger. And he paints the picture of this man who is now all by himself because he's pushed everybody away, perhaps by the abuse of money or the overvaluation of that money. And, you know, what should be the twilight of his life with grandkids around and with, with all these people at his dinner table and with just all of this joy that's around him is lost because he's left with no more than emptiness of life and it's futility that he's arrived at this space of. I love what Derek Kidner says, if anything is worse than the addiction of money, it's the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this, and Jesus knows that we all need that better nourishment. Money's a poor substitute for that because it's really empty calories in our lives. That's why Jesus offers us the real food, Jesus says, I want to give you real food. I want to give you the wisdom of the scriptures and my Father's words. I want to give you my words. I want to give you the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a group of people in the church that are your people, that are your family. I, I wish to give you things that are, are, are bigger, that are, that, that are more allegiance and, and loyalty and love that you'd give to God than you would to money. And he's saying, I want to give you real food for your soul. Well, there's one more warning that he gives. The more you have the more you will leave behind. And Solomon says this, all of us came in the world the same way and we're gonna depart the world the same way. We came into the world with nothing, we will leave the world with nothing. And so death interrupts the human use of wealth. We will not need any of our earthly wealth in heaven. And that's just a fact. The story is told of a rich man who decided that he was gonna take part of his wealth into the next life. The Lord finally uh, you know, relented to his prayers and on, under only one condition. He said to the man this, I will let you take one suitcase of your valuables into heaven. And so the man decided that that's exactly what he did, would do. The rich man died and he uh, decided to pack well, his, his suitcase with gold bars before he died. And so that's again what he kept with him on the day of uh, going to uh, heaven. The day came when he was called to home and St. Peter met him at the gates of, of heaven with his suitcase and he says, you cannot bring that in here. And he says, oh, 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 but I have an agreement with God. Yes, I can. 
And he says, well, out of curiosity, let, let, me, let me look at what's in your suitcase. And the man opened it up to all these shining bars of gold. And St. Peter said to him, hmm, that's interesting. Why are you bringing pavement? <laughs> Dumb, right? I mean, what we think is of so much value here on earth and heaven, it's just like, no, that just, that's dumb. Uh, you, don't, you don't have a proper perspective on how this all works. The more you have, the more you have actually to leave behind. Solomon's truths are all warnings to us. They're warnings about the dangers and the limits of wealth. They are a great reminder to us that money is constantly asking to be our God. And Jesus, of course, tells us you can't have two gods. <laughs> There's money and God that are, are, are wanting to be your God, and you've got to choose which one you will make to be your God. And he's saying that money's always a bad master for us because it will always be asking for first allegiance, but it's not able to deliver what it promises. Perhaps Paul, in the book of Philippians, gives us a great perspective on this. I've got up Philippians chapter four for you, and this is what Paul says. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every and in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this, or all things, some translations say, through him who gives me strength. And so he's giving us a little clue there on how we navigate this. And what he's saying is that I've arrived at a spot of being content with whatever my situation is. Whether I have plenty or whether I need more, I've somehow arrived at the space of saying, God's going to supply all that with his power, and I'm in a spot of contentment. If you are fortunate enough today in order to have most of your needs met. You have a home, you have food, you have the basic needs of life met. Then the way that you would demonstrate your contentment, the way that you would demonstrate that you love God more than you love money is to give some of it away. It's to find somebody that you think may need some of that and give it to them. It's to find an organization that you think is doing a great job around the world of helping with people's needs and, and spreading the gospel and give some to them. It's finding a missionary in which you say, boy, I know they could use a little extra help right now and giving some of that to them. Every time you do that, you are telling money, not my God. And you're telling God, I'm content with what I have and I'm willing to depart myself of some of that in order to uh, worship you, in order to follow you, in order to honor you. You see, God loves a cheerful giver. And money can be very, very useful in our lives. In fact, we'll be using it all of our lives. But if we are given too much sway of it into our lives, well, then it can become a threat to us. It can become a threat to our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual health. And so here's the upshot of today's passage. Love God more than you do money. Love God more than you do money. And find a way in order to act on that. I hope you'll do that this week. Father, Thank you again for the reminder. It's so often in your scriptures where money becomes a topic because, well, it's common to us. And you're constantly wanting to warn us that money would sure like to take your place. Money would like to be our God. And today, as your followers, we say you're better. You're better than money. And we ask you to, through the power of your Holy Spirit, come into our lives and to right-size our thinking about this. Help us to have a, a better perspective on it as we're thinking about making purchases around us as more and more things are, are wanting to come into our lives and overtake the position that you have. Lord, we honor you today, we love you today, and we say you're the only God. 
We seek to pursue you, love you, cherish you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.